An elegant weapon for a more civilized God damn it, kids. One show right into the next. Motherfucking Dirk motherfucking Manning. How's what? that shit? What is up, man? It's good to see you. Um, it hasn't been long. Because um, last episode, you helped close out our New York Comic Con spectacular. Yeah, and, and as it's tradition, you know, I, I would hope that people know this by now, but I'm usually the closer at a big show like that, right? Uh, repop and- shows, man. Yeah, and I feel like we got especially little, we got a little abbreviated, and I said, "Hey, man, let's 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 chat formal, especially now that the whole campaign's going and stuff." But, oh, you always have so many exciting things to talk about. You're one episode shy of a fairly decent marker because this is episode four hundred and forty nine. Oh, I could have waited a little longer. Oh, you've been on plenty. <laughs> I know you've done specific, significant episodes in the past. That's In true. fact, let's take a little old school, kids. Let's flick our fucking bicks tonight. Ah, there it is. Yeah, so New York was fucking awesome, huh? It was. You know, I'm. I feel very privileged and very honored to be able to continue to be at New York Comic Con, and I have a love hate relationship with New York City because I'm not. New York City is not my speed, right? I'm I'm a I'm a Midwest boy, and I always kind of have a certain amount of dread about going to do New York. But then I get there, and New York Comic Con always crushes it. It's always such a great show. It's always such a good time. I get to see so many people. I get I always have wonderful experiences. Great, great, great people come to the show and support me. So seeing you, so yeah, it was. It's always is a blast but it's funny it's like the show that i don't want to say i dread leading up to it but i don't but i made like the show like the most anxiety about because it's it's the big show right it's the biggest convention in the united states it is but i mean there's something special to it in regards to that it's 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 really hard to describe new york yeah because it's it's such a uh leveler like in Artist Alley, yeah, you're kind of sectioned off from like kind of pros, semi pros, and like the stuff. main the main floor, right? But at the same time, there is so much social interaction going on in Artist Alley that everybody's just bouncing everywhere. Right. And it's pretty easy to say hello to a lot of the finest people working in this business today. And it's just a trip how much this one show a year more than any other uh, is is a networking event. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and you mentioned that we're kind of sectioned off. I would gently push back on that, that really Artist Alley and New York Comic Con being down in the the, the lower level it's its own ecosystem, 
right? Uh, yeah, I don't want to say that's why like sectioned off was the right word because it's not. It's like a it's like, it's like a, a con within a con in a way. It, it's like a flow. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there is like basically when you walk into Artist Alley, it's so fucking immense that you've got basically you got on the left side, you had your super experienced, solid, you know, long time pro fucking guys, guys like fucking Bob Camp, <clears throat> you know, guys of that legendary caliber riding out kind of the left side. And then from the mid to the right you had like the best of the best of independent comic book creators from all over the place. Guys like you guys like Von Gorman, you know, all up that kind of fucking stretch up until like, you know, Eric Palicki, um, who was also kind enough to be on the show, a lot of these guys. And then at that point, it kind of progresses into a lot of the foreign uh, appearances. A lot of the people from international places who haven't maybe done many New Yorks or only come to the States for New York. And then beyond that, you've got your right. fucking badasses. You've got your, you know, your Faye box and your fucking chips at and all those fucking kids hanging out at the far end, Scott Snyder's and your comic sketch art. Right. So there's this cool, like that's what I, it's not sectioned, but there's like an ebb and flow to the structure of artist Sally. That's really cool where it provides an opportunity for a lot of just really neat interaction between the artists. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because like, you know, you could be across from like someone really amazing and next, and, and they're sprinkled out and things like that, you know, and it's, it's amazing. Like uh, I, I don't, well, especially when I'm working a show as big as New York, I don't necessarily get a chance to go walk around too much. I was so bummed out. I didn't get to talk to Bob Camp this year even. Normally I like to go see Bob and Michelle. They're two of my favorite people. I get to, I miss them. But I did go run over and I'm gonna mangle the name, but it's the guy who draws black sand. Uh and I and I'm it's like, it's like uh Juanjo Guarnito, I think is how you pronounce it. I could be totally mangling his name. I'm a super mark for him. I'm such a mark I can't say his name right. But like yeah running over to go like get art from him and go buy something from him right and he's like a football throw away from me right right or or uh bob clampett's right across or whatever or then frank joe or whoever you know it's just it's wild and people can go to new york comic-con and do and go to artist alley for two days or three days or four days and that's where they hang out they don't even go upstairs they don't go to the main or they go to the main floor just as a walkthrough but artist yeah. alley is where the action is. And I uh I explain this to my my folks a lot that where I'm always at at H eight, I can see the escalator, right? That yeah. comes down into Artist Alley. And last year, I think it was last year to this experiment, I would randomly grab my phone and just snap a picture of the escalator. Just just randomly thought they click. And the artist alley in New York is always open an hour later. So we're open 10 days. I want to say it's 10 to 7 or 10 to 8. Maybe it's it 10 to 7. Yeah. Whatever it is. Because I think the show floor closes at 6. And we're open till 7. But literally from 10 a.m. until like 6.45 p.m. Throughout the day. Random pictures. That escalator coming down in Arst Alley is always full. Oh, yeah. And I mean full. Yeah. Like just a wall of people. And that's New York, man. It's just a monster show. Artist Alley is the best artist alley in the country, bar none. And I do a lot of cool shows and I'm not. How I'm many not, New York Comic Cons have you done? 
I did the my first New York experience was special edition. And I want to say that was 2015 or 16. And I've done it every year since. So I'm going on eight or nine. I'm probably closing eight or nine at least. Yeah. All right. It was very cool that you were there in your eight or ninth year at the show, able to be seated beside the Becca, who it was her first show. Right. And, you know, that's the cool kind of experience of, oh, yeah, her ghostwriter she did for you. Yeah. You guys get deep. I actually got, and there's another thing, like, I love uh, the Becca. I actually got a commission from her on a, those old Midnight Suns black covers. That's rad. Man. She did a painted ghostwriter on like one of the old black covers of uh, I have it right here at my desk. The, yeah, the, the the Becca's great. Sorry, I mean, it didn't mean to brag a little bit, but when you mentioned the Becca, I'm like, oh, you mean this commission piece I have by her right here? Hey, you know what's awesome about my kids' collection is like, like him growing up at, at the fan expos and comic cons. And all these artists, like the Becca, knowing him like his entire life for four right. years, right? They've all been so kind enough to like give him prints or draw him pictures or whatever over the years. Mm-hmm. So my kids actually, if like you look through my kids' portfolio from like his fucking first eight years of life of going to Comic Cons, yeah, the coolest stuff. It's insane. Stuff that we it's insane, man. <laughs> like he's got a Richard Pace Ryuk. Uh, like framed on his fucking wall you know what i mean like like the kids got shit other people just haven't thought of and you know it's there's an advantage to being a cute little kid doing this stuff right oh dude i'm so happy that like even though he's 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 turning 13 this saturday oh happy birthday so teenagerhood has arrived and the and he's going his you'll, own hey, you'll, way. you'll see him again when he's 22 don't worry. right well I, he's, I don't think he's actually going to go too far we're pretty tight but okay, he's okay. his interests have diverged like drastically sure and you know he's not quite so much into art and comic books and geeky stuff at mm-hmm. all anymore mm-hmm. and that was an honestly difficult adjustment to have mm-hmm. to accept that he's his own person, he's going to be into his own stuff, doing his own thing, because you know. But even though, despite that, I still am proud of the child that I was able to give him with those experiences. Because whatever he does, it's going to look back on that as as positive, you know, life enforcement, where you know all these people had his back and were good to him and encouraged him, and that that helped him, you know, learn to have confidence in whatever he does. Yeah. Hopefully, right. And even if. He never goes back into the fold. The experiences he got to have is what counts, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you and I, I mean, we've been through phases where there's different things we like, we don't like. And even if we don't like it anymore, we can look back and say, like, man, I had a cool experience with that thing at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And, right. Which and I getting think he'll have those artists and yeah. have a fawn over him a little bit and stuff like that. That's cool, man. You know, he'll appreciate the the all access upbringing that he was given. Right. There it is. There it is. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So, yeah, New York was fun. New York is always real cool. Like I said, I'm always really honored to do that. It was and fun you've to get done like several in. shows since, which is hilarious. Yeah, but I'm on break now. I'm on my winter hibernation. Oh, how long is this going to last for? Um, I might. Well, <laughs> I guess I kind of trap myself on this. I have no more conventions lined up. I might have one in February. I will be definitely back on the road in March. 
in the meantime, I'll probably have a couple little one-off store signings for the right or wrong Kickstarter. I had some stores buy in and I might do like little seminars like December 9th. I'm going to be in Hilliard, Ohio at Packard Comics. They've talked about doing this for six months. I know Jamie and Teresa. I've done free comic book day there every year since pretty much it started. They're doing waffles with the writer. And you can RSVP and I'm going to be there on Saturday morning and they're going to have a chicken, chicken and waffle meet and greet, hangout, kind of like seminar buffet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's just the goofiest thing, but, but like, all these people are into it and signing oh, why? up. It's not so goofy at all, man. You know, there's a cinema in Toronto. It's called the Review Cinema. And it's okay. like a it's like a hundred year old cinema house, but now they play like cool and older movies. There's no new movies that get played there really, right? Okay. Okay. And uh, you know, I go and pop over and like like over the year this year, like every couple months, they played uh each Star Wars movie. Nice. They, they played each sequel. And right. I've got I've gone to see other cool shit there. Um, but in December. They're having a special one of uh, on certain Saturday mornings, they have yeah. cartoon and all you can eat cereal at the theater. Oh, that's awesome. So Saturday mornings, you go to the theater in your pajamas and they just play fucking Saturday morning cartoons and it's all you can eat buffet cereal. They have like right? a cereal bar. Yeah. Yeah. That that right. is dope. And people show up in their pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. they're, they're doing one in december with christmas specials so like he-man christmas special and shit right so that's cool speaking of sean daly sean daly is a cereal whore i don't yes, know he, he if loves you cereal. all know that there if you bring him cereal to a show he'll give you free fucking art like that's how important cereal is to yes him. he is a cereal fiend yeah. yes he is so, sean daly is to cereal what i am to ice cream yes so right. I think me and him are probably going to do that because that sounds awesome. And uh, uh, but I love it when places do that, like cool, interesting kind of shit like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. And, yeah, and Jamie and Jamie and Teresa especially talked about this like every comic book day because uh, for the right or wrong campaign, they said, "Well, hey, can we like if we do the retailer level, can we like have you come in for a, a, a seminar or something?" And I said, "I'll do anything for you guys, absolutely." They said, "We want to do like waffles with the writer." And I kind of laughed and I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't know who'd want to come eat waffles with me, but I love waffles. And I said, well, do you want me to do like a panel? I'm like, no, come in and we'll just, people get to chat with you about writing and meet you and hang out. And we're going to have a chicken and waffle buffet. And uh, what a world, man. You know? <laughs> so I have a couple things like that sprinkled in, a couple store signings, but then I'll be off the road till March. Because you know this, this I just wrapped up the twenty years of Terror Tour, right, right, with the Grand Rapids Comic Con uh, in November. And I'm off the road till March. I wrapped up the twenty years of Terror. I'm, I'm kind of working on a bunch of books over the winter here, um, and uh, yeah, I'll get I'll get back in the road in March. But in December, I'm gonna go do a, a waffle event, which will be that's really too fun. fucking cool, man. It's it's like I said, I don't, and you know, you and I know each other for years. I never take any of this for granted. I just don't. But it's one of those things now, it's like so cool that I can go and go to a shop and we can have a little waffle buffet and people actually RSVP to come hang out and have waffles and just kick it. It's like... I'd do that in a second. Are you kidding? Yeah, I see, but that blows me away. It's like... It should be chicken and waffles, but still. You know, it is chicken and waffles. Oh, it is. 
to okay. do the chicken and waffle buffet. Perfect. Like, what else do you need, man? Like, yeah, I, like that's you got to bring the people out for the fun times. You know what I it'll mean? It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be cool. And, you know, we'll I just... recently went to uh, um, you've heard me talk about the sidekick, which is a comic cafe. Yes. In, in in the beaches in Leslieville here in Toronto. Wonderful, wonderful establishment. You'd absolutely love it. Um, but there was recently uh Stephanie Cook, writer Steph Cook. She oh yeah, she uh she organized a little creator hangout. Is she from Canada? Yeah, man. We're all Toronto, everybody. Uh, I, I did a well see, I say that because I did a show, she was next to me in Miami. But that oh, was yeah? the first time I ever met her. So I wasn't, you know, so of course you associate people with the Conurat. So oh, yeah, 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 Tor- yeah. Tor- 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 Torontoer? Torontonian. 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 Right, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So anyways, she just, uh, she organized a little, you know, and there's nothing special about it. Like, she literally just basically made an invite and said, picked a date and was like, let's all hang out this night at the Sidekick. Right and um, you know, it was awesome fun. Just to like maybe twenty people showed up and were just hanging out, drinking coffee or pints, and fucking. The, it was pure fucking comic book talk all night long. And I met up with Sean Daly beforehand. Mm-hmm. Sean Daly's coming up a lot, but I've been hanging out with Sean Daly a lot lately. Kids, um, a reveal was just made. Yeah, um, yeah. I have mentioned. I've already mentioned to you all how I'm making a comic. Where I I made I wrote a comic book, uh, and Sean Daly's going to draw that motherfucking comic book, which is super exciting. So uh, after 12 years of supporting others and their kickstarters, I hope that you'll all be there. Um, now that'll soon be our turn. Please, Dude, you know I'm day, one. I'm day one. I'm our one. You know I'm so excited. I I I've had the privilege of reading the at least a draft yeah. of the comic, the first issue. Yeah, I told you. I said I'm all into this, dude. And Sean drawing it is going to be gorgeous. It's I fun. cannot wait. Yeah. I can't wait for the Arn Anderson book to finally get out of customs so people can see right. his work. On right. Yeah. Yeah. Sean is. One of my favorite illustrators, and him and Colm on that Arn Anderson book, it's just incredible. He's I'm very lucky, very Sean's lucky. Yeah, Sean and I go He's way, way back, so I'm very, very privileged and honored to have him working with me on this. And I know that he's going to bring that element that I can't put on paper that uh-huh. you know it can only be seen in our heads. And we got together at the pub before the hangout. And um, just started spitballing ideas and shit. Man, the coolest stuff comes up. Like it, it just the coolest. Like, what about this? Well, then this means this. Well, why is this because of that? Oh, this could be because of that, or that's why they do this. Just all that shit is so much fun to just sit around and fucking eat tacos and fucking think about. You know, it. It's one of the reasons I love comics so much, and and people. Ask me all the time that maybe aren't as much into graphic novels. Fun to make with your friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, they ask me like, "Well, have you ever thought about writing a real book?" I'm like, "I do write real books. I've had over twenty real. I've had twenty plus real books published." They go, "Well, no. I mean, like, not a comic." I'm like, "You mean like a prose novel?" Like, "Well, yeah." I'm like, "Well, I could do it." And and like the the back of every mystery book, I write a short story. The back of all the nightmare worlds, I did little two page short stories. Mystery ones, I do longer ones. Uh, and that's kind of become a gimmick of mine now for my graphic novels. I'll do a pro story at the end to flex that muscle. But 
there's nothing like the collaboration between a visual storyteller and maybe a uh I don't know if I'm using the right word, but like a linguistics to like a pro storyteller to get to work together to then create the child of a comic. Right. And I don't mean to make it sound like sacrilegious in regards to like childbirth or something, but you working with Sean Daly creates a thing that you nor Sean could create by yourselves. hundred percent. hundred percent. And then even I'm going to be a shill for a second. I've got the Hope Volume 2 Kickstarter going right now, right? Mm-hmm. People can go to heroforhope.com, jump in. As of this recording, we've unlocked six stretch goals already. We we did over $10,000 in the first... Uh, blah, 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 blah. I know well, well, was the, first day. the amazing fucking impact that within no, it was three crazy. seconds of releasing this Kickstarter, we'd made $800,000. No, we no didn't make $800,000. We did, we, did, we right. did... Rewind a bit. Rewind a bit. Rewind a bit. Yes. Yes, Dirk is bringing up hope. So we're going to talk about hope. Yes, this is the second volume of hope, which right. the Kickstarter just launched for and was a giant success. But let's go back to the beginning before we jump into all that and explain to the people what hope is. Okay, and then I'm eventually going to get to the thing that was Sean Daly that we're going to tell you. But okay, yeah, he so can hope. fucking wait. We've talked about him enough. Yes, yeah, we talked about <laughs> enough of Sean. We love you, Sean, but you got your cheap plugs in. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. Hope. Uh. For people. Are, most people know Dirk Manning for my horror stuff, right? And I use third person there very specifically because you, when you think of Dirk Manning, there's people that know me for right or wrong, the writing column that became a book. But, or, and that most people, I would argue, then know me for being a horror comic writer. Although there is a small contingent of people that just know me for the wrestling comic stuff. But by and large, Dirk Manning, horror comic guy. A number of years ago, I announced uh, a wave of three books. Uh, they were all uh, intended to be co-creator owned. And one of them was the All Ages book, The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Friends with Scoop McMahon. And one of the other one of the other ones was Hope with Kaylin Smith, which was a book about uh, a superhero. And all these people were kind of like, turn their nose up a little bit. They're like, you're working with Kaylin Smith. That's really awesome. But Dirk Mang's doing a superhero book? Like, you're, you're, you selling out? Uh-huh. And I said, no. One, I'm not selling out. This is a story I wanted to tell since actually my early, the, the genesis of hope was when I was at Shadowline for the Who Wants to Create a Superheroine contest. But I said also, hope is not a superhero comic. It's a comic about uh, a character who she happens to be a superhero. There's a very profound difference there. This is Maybe a- there was once, but I would debate that that's the case now. Because I think now mm-hmm. the the definition of a superhero comic has expanded so yeah. much because yeah. of things no, like uh, okay. All right. because yeah. of things like Invincible, because of things like The Boys, because of things like Hope. I think that that's good company. You don't want to call it. It feels weird to call it like straight up superhero or whatever, but no, I think it is the new definition of of the breadth of what a superhero comic is. And and I think it is completely 100% a superhero comic book. But you know what? It's just not what people are used to because it's not just a hero saving the day. It's a modern, it's a smart, intelligent, modern 
story and it's 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 a modern superhero tale which the problem a lot that me dc and marvel fell into over the years was repetition and boundaries and and unwritten rules about what superhero comics are supposed to be and now that those have finally been shattered by all these type books i think your book is 100 what today the the evolution of superhero books has come to so sorry now, that's I, my opinion that's no, my no, no. personal hey, opinion i'm going to push back on your pushback in one way okay we're gonna we're, we're gonna all right go this. ahead yeah bring it ready now here's the yeah. one thank you for putting me in company of two of my favorite comics invincible is an absolutely incredible comic book uh and the boys i think pound for pound is garth ennis's most mature comic he's ever done or at least most complex but with invincible and the boys Ultimately, both are largely about people in spandex fighting other people in spandex. Now, that's not bad. Like I said, those are legitimately two of my favorite comics. And I say that, and I'm sitting here in an office of, of over 100 graphic novels, easily, and 90% plus of them are not superhero. But those two books are amongst my favorite comics. In hope. Hope is not about Hope herself, uh, Julie Lavelle. The book is not about her fighting other people in spandex and fighting supervillains. And again, not that that's bad, but this if is very that's your bad. definition of what makes a superhero comic book, it, it, it which is. I fully respect, which it I is. fully respect. But that's why I tell. But I also want to be fair to people for them to understand this isn't Dirk Manning telling a superhero comic story. This is Dirk Manning writing about a character who's a superhero. Yes. And what happens when the story starts the first five pages, her identity gets revealed to the whole world. And then what happens about that? Now, volume two, which is now on Kickstarter at a hero for hope.com. Right. This one, this volume illustrated by Sally Scott does start to bring in a lot more super villains for lack of a better word we saw a couple in volume one we saw nora ona we saw you know the drama king we saw the final boss um volume two now we're getting infinitely more i know people can't see it but here i mean i'll hold up you know you can see the cover we're seeing a lot more super villains show up but ultimately to me it's still hope is a drama comic more than anything but i also tell people it's legitimately the scariest story I've ever told. It's not a horror comic either, but it's the scariest one because there's a very real life component to it. It's about parenting. It's about family. It's about privacy. It's about government. You know, it's a modern happens. story. It's very modern. Yes, it's about like a said, superhero. Very modern. You know what I mean? It's very much a, a reflection of things that we issues that we deal with in the real world through through this lens of a of a woman who she wanted to she has superpowers she acted as a superhero as an unregistered superhero and what happens when she gets basically accidentally doxed out and now all the supervillains know who she is that she has a family the media knows who she is 
uh, the government's kind of after because she didn't register, even though technically you don't have to, they want you to. And children's services is involved because is she fit to be a mom because of this stuff going on and her husband's in a coma and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So it's, I do push back on the idea it's a superhero comic, but to your point, I will gladly acquiesce that a lot of great modern superhero comics that are mainly creator-owned, like The Boys, like Invincible, are expanding what the genre does, as opposed to the corporate roller coaster of your Spider-Mans and your Batman. Well, here's the thing, too. When you start with your own original character or characters, it's an Mm -hmm. opportunity to make that vibe fit a modern story. One of the big problems with DC and the issues that they've had with keeping a modern audience, not so much Marvel, because Marvel is a little later and a little more with the times, but DC, you know, DC is like, you know, golden-hued 1950s godlike superheroes and legends and, you know, Greek god-type shit. And how how do you make that fit? into a modern world like it's almost so ridiculous that that's why people come up with things like the boys because it's just such an such a ridiculous thought that it would be anything less than what the boys probably is right yeah so that's the you know and 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 i think that's been their big problem is you know how do you modernize something like that that's why i think you know, but they they're stuck with these old characters that everybody grew up with and and knows. But man, that translation is, it's been something that a lot of people have tried, and it's 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 a hard hit. Whereas when you're starting fresh, you know, you're able to come up with this original modern stuff that that moves the genre along. So I really appreciate right, it. Right, right? And, and, yeah. and and I appreciate that because yeah, hope was never about exploring the what would it be like to have powers. But I mean, to your point with DC. How many years was it where Superman was considered so stale until they did, uh, was it Action Comics 775, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, which really yeah. reconceptualized and regrounded the idea about what makes Superman super is not the fact that he's faster than a speeding bullet, that he's super strong, and he has, like, but rather about the fact that he can do all this stuff but he still holds himself to such a, a an ideal, such a moral code. And with hope, one of the things I wanted to do was explore. I have to be careful how I say this, but I also just want to be transparent. I am not a woman, and I cannot speak for the women. Uh, for the I cannot I cannot talk about oh the 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 experience of being a woman but I can write a story about a woman having an experience. And I have friends, I have family, I have loved ones who are women, and I've seen a lot of the things they deal with that they would not have to deal with if they were a man. And with hope, one of the things that, one of the underlying kind of cruxes of the story is, and people that read volume one saw this especially, see this especially, and even as we get into volume two, we still explore this, Hope as a story would not work if the main character was a man. Because the institutionalized issues that Julie Lavelle, that Hope deals with, would not be nearly as much of a factor if she was a guy. Yeah. 
They're right? all different circumstances, right? Very different. Like, like you said, a certain set of circumstances right. like that surround that character. That's why it's great that it's character development and right. character experience. You know what I mean? Right. And again, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, I'm talking about the women, the, the experience of being a woman. I, I can't do that. Now, on volume one, I had, uh, you know, co-created the book with Keelan Smith, and she brought a lot of storytelling sensibilities. She's an amazing artist and also a very, very good storyteller. She brought a lot of good perspective. Um, our original editor, editor on the book, Heather Antos, had, had some pretty good insight. We brought Andrina Joe after that. She's had some amazing insight on the book. Uh, even volume two with artist Sally Scott. Again, that that balanced perspective of things. But I can write a story about a character who's a woman having an experience. And that was a really big driving factor for me and hope because I'd seen people I care about who are, who are, who are women deal with things that me as a guy would never have to deal with. And I was able to take the idea of here's this woman who's a superhero and she's strong and she flies and all this stuff. But the original tagline on the book was not all villains can be punched or there's some villains that can't be punched. Yeah. yeah. Some villains can't be punched. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't punch institutional sexism. You can't punch misogyny. <laughs> you can punch a misogynist, but you can't punch misogyny. You know, yeah. you, you can't punch the glass ceiling. You know, so that's that's really what hope is about, but also just this really engaging story about the, this woman who her her superhero identity has been exposed and what happens after that. And volume two, illustrated by Sally Scott, really starts to ramp up, especially the the super villain aspect of this, where now the villains are starting to come after her, knowing that she has a kid, knowing that her identity, knowing they have a, knowing she has a family. And we start to explore more of the world of closing in on hope even more. Um, and to go back to the point I was going to make a lot earlier, when I did volume one with Kaylin Smith, volume one is a very certain type of story. Kaylin is doing a lot of her own stuff now more and more. She's been doing some really cool projects. So volume two, we eventually, I eventually went with Sally Scott, who I've worked with on some smaller things. She did stories for Nightmare World. She did stuff in Barry But Not Dead. She did a chapter in Butts and Seeds story, Shimani story. This is Sally's first big project we've done together. Working on Hope Volume 2 with Sally creates a similar but different aesthetic. And it comes back to that child child thing, right? Hope Volume 1 with Kaylin is a certain baby. Yeah. Hope Volume 2 with Sally Scott, it's a different baby. And even though I'm still the writer on both of these, the aesthetic is, I mean, it's still a Dirk Manning book, but there's a different aesthetic to it in that process of working with Sally on this and getting to do things with Sally that maybe would be a little bit different than if Kaylin did it. And that's okay because we just have this whole different vibe to it. And I can't wait for people to see the whole thing. And it's, it's really, really exciting. Right. That is exciting, man. I'm totally excited for the next chapter in this adventure. You know, I think you've handled uh, writing these characters very well. Thank so you. also, but going back to the Superman thing is I just wanted to mention that I think the most real 
depiction that we kind of saw of Superman was Superman four. Cause I would Superman four the shit out of shit. Mm. And I would totally, if I was that powerful, I would like you not getting a choice. I'm taking away your nuclear toys. Right. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I, if I was that fucking capable, I, I would not let the fucking monkeys have their fucking self-destructing fucking missiles. I, I wouldn't. And I know that I wouldn't be that fucking moral boy scout who was like, they got to learn and I can't interfere. No, fuck you. I would, (laughs) I would fuck the fear out of shit. I would feed all the poor people. Yeah. But, but see, and again, I'm going to go back to action comic 775. What makes Superman super is that he does not become a dictator. And we've seen a million evil Superman stories, whether it be Miracle Man with Alan Moore, the Neil Gaiman. Uh, John Acruti did a really cool graphic novel years ago called A God Somewhere, which is, again, like that. If you become Superman, do you become, for lack of a better term, uh a okay, dictator let me God. readjust. Yeah, do you become a dictator or not? Because say, okay, a, a guy's about to jump off a bridge, right? And you know that's his intent, right? And you stop him. Are you in the wrong? Right. Do you? If, if humanity is about to jump off a fucking bridge and nuke themselves, and you pull them back from the fucking edge of that bridge, are you a dictator or are you a fucking savior? Right. Right. right? And it makes. Well, it depends on a fucking certain point of view, I suppose. Right, sir. But yeah, well, it, so I'm thrilled, man. Like I'm like, I I don't want to go too far into talking about this, but in this story that I have written, mm-hmm. there is a particular little piece that uh, involved me writing from the perspective of a woman. Okay. And what I based it on, because I can't tell you what it is to be a woman either. I don't right, understand right. that perspective. But you know what I, I can go by is example. Mm-hmm. And my life has been full of fucking women mm-hmm. making, you know, tons of examples in front of me. Good, bad, smart, unwise, wise. You know, they're right. humans too, right? right. So that right. I can absolutely draw upon, especially things like, you know, everybody's own mother. You can draw something upon. You know, there's everybody's, you know, I mean, obviously not everybody knows, but everybody's got a mom and, uh, you know, and and you can draw off that experience and you can and you can write from what you see as your perspective from that example. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's funny. We're sitting here talking about we're two middle aged white guys talking about writing women characters. And I go back to um, author Josh Mallerman. Um, who wrote Bird Box, which became, you know, really a cultural phenomenon through the movie. Um, I was first introduced to the book Bird Box before the movie came out. And one of the things that made me a huge fan of Josh Mallerman is how well he wrote the main character, Mallory. And I'm like, I was blown away, you know, like, and I hate to say something as pretentious as writer to writer, but I'm like, wow, this, this, he writes, he writes Mallory like this character is incredible. And I just was blown away that this guy wrote about this experience of this woman who's pregnant and the danger she's in and, and the fear and the trepidation and the whole world's coming and glued around her. And she's worried about giving birth to the to a baby in this world. And, and it's one of the things that made me a huge fan of his. But ultimately, too, to your point, 
that you're making about moms and things like that is again we we all have experiences and ultimately it was about what josh mellerman did in bird box the book which again a lot of people see the movie i recommend that book i give that book amongst my highest recommendations it's so even if you've seen the movie the book is a great experience the sequel mallory's great Uh, hey you know what i think is a great example now that i'm thinking about it of what we're both talking about in the same story is to kill a mockingbird there you go harper lee Mm -hmm. wrote scout like so perfectly well yes like you're almost like that must have been her as a child like that that kind of Mm -hmm. writing right Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. she you you just like you feel this tomboy little kid and all and you know you almost even feel her weirdness about that she is a girl because she's such a little tomboy but it's still a female on female perspective and then you look at atticus and the way she wrote him and the way she wrote him was by a grandiose example she didn't really get as deep in like when you look at Atticus's performance in the book as a character, mm-hmm. you know, even I know he's not the narrator. I know we're getting it from Scout's point of view, sure. but we we still like. I don't know. It's hard for me to explain, but still it's Atticus experience. It, yeah, it's, it's it's the person's having in when like she again, wrote him well and she wrote him amazing yes. but he's he's quite a grandiose character yes yeah you're not going to find a lot of men who are of that high caliber a moral individual you know what well, i mean right well and again i know that a lot of people consider this particular author problematic and perhaps not really well- why what happened i didn't know that no 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 no, not her no not, not her i'll say jk rowling Writing oh, Harry oh you were bringing up the, okay i'm with you yeah. everyone sorry jk rowling writing harry potter same thing people sometimes lose sight of the fact that you know this is a a, a, a woman writing a seven book epic about a male character but ultimately what it's about is your job as a writer is to write about an experience and to write about characters having an experience and how we are all connected by experience. And sometimes it's a fantastical experience. But to me, one of the joys and I think one of the duties and the obligations and the privilege and the thing that gives me so much passion about writing is talking about truth through fiction by, by character experience. Right. Yeah. Uh, and whether it be through tales of mystery or the short stories I've done in Nightmare World, or even working with real people, like when I did uh, Butts and Seats, the Tony Schiavone story, and I've talked about this before, probably on this very show. The reason I was so drawn to writing Tony's story was because of the experience and and, and the journey it takes you on, and um, that that's that's. That's the sign when you read a book and you're sharing that experience with a character, whether they be fictional or it's based on a real character, a real person. When you can bring someone into that experience and you hook them in, whether it's a drama or a horror story or a romance story or erotica or historical fiction, whatever it is. When you can bring people, see, I'm getting so passionate about this. This is like my 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 jam, right? But when you bring people into that experience, 
experience, that's when you succeed as a creator and as a writer. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, yeah. that's that's where it's at. And that's what it's about. And we talked earlier about Marvel and DC. And again, I'm not slagging them at all, but I think sometimes when you're dealing with corporately owned comic books, there's only so much of the experience you can bring them into. And I think I touch on this in Right or Wrong Volume 1, and I'm, I know I'm going to be circling back to it in Right or Wrong Volume 2, but corporate superhero comics or any corporate comic is like a roller coaster right? It'll take you on this wild ride and there's dips and valleys and loops and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, your job is to come back to the same place you started so the next person can build their roller coaster and take you on that journey. And there's some great corporate comics. Again, Action Comics 775. Um, I think I'm getting commission off of that book. I referenced it so much. Or Craven's Last Hunt, right? Or um, I'm trying, you know, I loved the Josh Whedon X-Men run that he did. Uh, the Kitty Pride Colossus bit. I've never been a huge X-Men fan per se. But spoiler, when Kitty Pride finds out Colossus is still alive, and the bit where he runs through her, and she just, like, holds her chest for a second when he walked through, and she's like, oh, my God, he's still alive. That experience of thinking you lost someone, and, and this is an experience that I don't think I've ever had, where you think someone's dead, but then you find out they're not. Yeah. And the way that he worked with John Cassidy in that moment, it's like, I've never had the experience of thinking that my love of my life was dead, but they're really not dead. But through words and pictures, creating that, you live that experience with that character in that moment. That's powerful storytelling. And when you do that with words and pictures, that's powerful comic book storytelling and ultimately with hope which you can get at a hero for hope.com for another couple of weeks, <laughs> get the kickstarter exclusive hardcover all the cool extras that's ultimately my drive with this book especially is let's talk about that experience let's let's share in that common collective empathy of that experience and let's 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 live in that moment and I try to do it with Tales of Mystery. I try to do it with everything I write. Tales of Mystery. None of us are going to live in a post-apocalyptic world where there's a real threat that devastated the earth and then the, and then society decided to deny it. Oh, wait. Are you that so did happen. Sure? Yeah, you so Oh, sure? wait. But see, but in 2006, when I started writing Tales of Mystery, it was kind of almost like a Kafka-esque parody but over the years, with COVID, it became real, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Too much became it's like, real, it's man. Like replaced the demons and mystery with the, with COVID, and it's like that's a story I Dude. didn't. I didn't want people to have the experience that way, but but here we are. Idiocracy became real. So uh-huh. many, so many things became real. Can I ask you an off-topic question? Yeah. As a writer, are you familiar with the Anne of Green Gables? Novels. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, how are you familiar with them? Uh, those were gosh, those were actually very popular books when I I don't know, when I was in grade school. I think I read I don't know if I finished it, but I know I, I dabbled with at least I know there's a bunch of them. I wrote like one of them, and it was fine. And the reason I gave it a shot 
is because I loved when I was younger, Little House on the Prairie. Oh, nice. Right on. And what really won me over with Little House on the Prairie was the last episode. And for those, a spoiler, people haven't seen it. The last episode of Little House on the Prairie, of course, the, the 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 TV series based on the books, it's about a little house on the prairie. And like this tycoon comes in and basically buys the town for the oil. And the townspeople, rather than give this guy their town, he kind of like buys it kind of like shady. They decide, and it's very Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand or however you say it, I guess, however you choose to pronounce it. Um Rather than give this guy their town, they march out of town together, the whole town, and then they blow up the town <laughs> rather than give it to him. Right? It's very, it's very fountain. Is that really how that show ended? I don't. Yeah, yeah, that. no, dude, I swear. Yeah, That's they blow up crazy. the town because they, they don't... blow up Walnut Grove to keep they it blow out of it the up. hands of an they oil bl- I swear, I'm not making this up. And Holy they go because shit. they, yeah, right. And I <laughs> love that. I, I love that aspect of you've stolen our town from us, but we're not just going to give it to you. We would rather it, we would rather it die on our own hands rather than just give it to you and have it be bought out, right? That's and, crazy. Um, because of that, I, I that that genre, you know, that that frontier stuff. I went in and dabbled with the Anna Green Gable stuff. Ultimately, it was just not something that I could. No, no, here, I'll tell you why I ask. Because yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, but no, yeah, there's a long answer to a short question, but yes, I'm familiar. I just, I happen to see it on the computer screen here as I was, like, flipping through some of these books that we've been uh-huh. talking about, uh-huh. and uh, Anne of Green Gables is hardcore Canadiana. Like, every Canadian knows Anne of Green Gables. Really? It's, oh, yeah, it's, well, it takes place in Prince Edward Island, right? Like, PEI. It's, it's, okay. it's okay. a literal Canadiana novel. Like, you can, you can go to Green Gables in PEI. Really? Yeah, like, it's all real shit, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I guess, to me, I always, and, and pardon my ugly Americanness. No. I always considered it very Americana. Uh no, it's a 1908 novel by Canadian author Lucy Maud Montgomery, published. No, no, I mean I don't. I believe you. Yeah, but it's just I guess it's it's the it's the lens again that empathy that lens through which we view it. I kind of view that like uh, akin to Little House on the Prairie. But go ahead. Oh, it absolutely the same time frame, right? It's Avonlea in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and uh, it's just. it's a weird thing because it's it's such a classic Canadian novel, yet right. it's got this weird fringe thing in the States where people have kind of heard of it, but but it's not like super well known. Like most people will be like, I think so when you bring it up. And it's really? just so yeah, it's been a weird thing that I've noticed over the years about America. Um, some know better than others, but it's a weird thing where I'm like, Hey, have you heard of this? And like, people are like, maybe kind of, I was, I was a very, 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 very avid reader, even as a child. Yeah. Very. Avid. Oh, me too. I was very, so perhaps man. I'm transposing my level of liter- literary awareness to an unfair degree. But I mean, I, 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 when I was little, especially, and I never met a book I didn't like. Right. Dude, I, mean, I would give anything a shot. I wouldn't follow it all the time, but I would at least check out anything, you know, just just give it to me. Give it to me. Read. read, I, read, read. I flex a little bit over what I read as a child because my grandfather was an insane reader, too. And he passed on to me everything he read 
And I wanted to read everything he had read because he was an incredible storyteller. He could sit there and just tell you the most amazing stories, right? And so every time he read a book, it would pass on to me. And he also one time for Christmas, I got this little set of novels for kids. Like the little like the little box set? Yeah. 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 So I mean, I read Call of the Wild, Last yeah. Weekend, Davy Leagues Under the Sea. David Copperfield. Uh, I actually never read 20,000 Leagues. Oh, okay. Um, but I read, you know, a, a bunch oh, of Charles Dicklin, Charles Dickens, sorry. Oh, and, you know, it was uh, fucking Adventures of Robin Hood is one of my all time. Just oh. people go on about Robin Hood. And I know you all know the movies and this thing, but you all need to sit down and like read the like kind of original like novel that was like kind of the. The first considered kind of, I guess, canon like novel, The Adventures yeah, of Robin yeah, yeah. Hood, because it's fucking just amazing. Moby oh, Dick, so good, right? It's like, so fucking... good. And you know, but you I know, am too. so, so grateful for having read all these vast, expansive, incredibly imaginative fucking stories that uh-huh. aren't full of sci fi or magic. I never read magic stories. Like as a kid, you know, you're the all of these novels were about the human condition in some sort of fantastic way. Yes. You know, like I wasn't reading wizard books or fantasy books. I wasn't into that stuff at all. So I'm very thankful that like my grandfather did that and I was able to like experience like, no, this is this is an example of a true uh, exploration of the of the real human spirit. You know what I mean? That's a fascinating thing you brought up too. Yeah. I'm trying to think what's the first book I read that really dealt with like magical characters. That's a good know. point. I don't know because you're right. I mean, there's fantastic situations, whether it be like 20,000 leagues under the sea, right? Or even Robin Hood to an extent. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that. I don't Do know. you know what it might have been for me? Was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay. Yeah. You know, because I never read the Lord of the Rings. I still haven't. So I can't count that yeah. for myself. But I never read the Lord of the Rings, or else I could have kind of counted that. But I, I right, did. Right. I mean, there's a wizard, yeah. right? Yeah. I, gosh, I'm gonna think about that. For me, it might have been some of those choose your own adventure Dungeons Dragon books. Yeah, in grade in grade five, I remember that we had to read this fantasy series uh, for school, but I don't remember uh-huh. what it was called, so I have no idea what that fucking was. But I'm it was still a- haunted. I'm still haunted by this book I read in junior high, and I remember the cover, and it was these two kids, a boy and a girl, and it had like this kind of demon floating over them, and it was kind of like a twist on a genie story, where like only they could see it. And it kind of granted wishes, but of course they did in like weird ways. And it was like started like tormenting them and they couldn't get rid of it. And I kind of wish I could remember that book. Like weird. Did you ever read Christopher Pike? What's that? Did you ever read Christopher Pike books? I know that he was like one of the first like YA, like big time YA. I know uh, the name, but I can't place what he wrote. What did he write? It's the same name as the captain from Star Trek. So it could be confusing. No, but no, I know the name. He wrote one book in particular called Remember Me, which is about this girl, this teenage girl who died, 
and then came back as a ghost yes and, ha- and had to help her like somehow communicate to get people to like solve yes. the murder and shit right yes but awesome awesome ass fucking book and i know one thing i've talked to people about is the differences in what we've had to read in american and canadian schools uh-huh because uh a lot of the novels were different you know like have you right. ever heard of uh let's say a girl who owned a city Sorry, The Girl I Who Owned a City. I don't think I've heard of that one. That was a big book we all had to read in grade like five or six where all the adults die. Everyone over 14 dies. And uh, oh, okay. and all the kids got to survive. So this one girl goes to her local public school and takes in all these kids and basically builds this society of kids uh, in, in this fucking school, right? Okay. Did you have to read Lord of the Flies? Oh yeah, yeah. That oh, was probably yeah. a similar one. And To Kill a Mockingbird was one. Absolutely, that was one Absolutely. that we had to read. You know, I, I tell you what, man. Lord of the Flies. Fuck I have a lot of love for that book on so many levels, and and I geek out when I talk to people about that book. And, and, and you know, anytime you read a book, different people again going back to that thing, the experience, the thing we take out of it. But. I love it, talking to people about because a lot of people focus on like the no rules, the kids become savages. And that's true. But just one of the master strokes of that book is literally how they were in paradise. And by the end of the book, it literally becomes hell. Yeah. Like flaming hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you could have had heaven, but you turned it into hell. Yeah. Right. And I love, I just, I love that. And, and, uh, yeah, that's uh that's again, that's and, and again, this is a common trope in literature. That's one of those books that you can do a good movie based on it, but nothing touches the the book and the experience that, <clears throat> that reading the book can create with Piggy and the conch shell and all that. I just sure oh, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's why of all the iterations I've seen of uh it. Nothing, yep. com- nothing still comes close to that novel. It's a fucking nope. brick of a book. It's yep. like 1100 plus pages or something. Yep. People should sit down and experience that because that's a book that jumps around in a way that uh-huh. you're on a, a, a whirlwind of time travel, jumping back and forth when you read that novel. And it's far more suspenseful, I found, than either of the movies. Like, they were great. Don't get me wrong. Like, movies were great. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. there was something about that book that was like terrifying. Well, again, it's the experience, and, and good horror movies do this too. Any good movie does this. Any good story gives you an experience. But when you can sit there and marinate with the characters, and if you are a person that can, not everyone's a reader, right? That's fine, right? That's fine, but. As a writer, if you can take people on that journey and really just bring them with you at the pace that a comic or a novel can do in a way a movie can't, oh, yeah. man. Stephen King hey. does yeah. very well with that. Oh, he's fucking brilliant with that. Yeah, I, w- oh. I wish I wish he was more brilliant with endings. But right, <laughs> he can he can take you he can take you all the way down that road. Yeah, man. some of them have not been the hardest. Like the stand was another one. Oh my gosh, the, I mean that whole book. The, the there's so many characters in that book that you just 
there's different parts of the life experience that that bring you through with some of those characters and oh my gosh yeah oh so good did you jumping back to something we talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh as far as perspectives mm-hmm. i'm not sure if i missed a point about something did you okay. see the barbie movie i did now i what I think I enjoyed about that movie was the amount of layers that were in that movie. Yeah. Now I feel like there was a certain perspective in there of asking the question or at least putting the men in, in the position that women have been in for years. Yep. Socially. Mm Mm-hmm. But I feel like the fact that it was an, a, a good example of, I don't know how to explain this. <laughs> I feel like it was less parody than most people are taking it as. Yeah, I think I think it was commentary disguised as parody. Right. Like, yeah, on, on right. so many levels, I just yes. feel like there was a certain amount of, you know, this is what it would be like if men were treated how women are treated at a certain time mm-hmm. and vice versa. But, mm-hmm. oh, God, see, I'm also trying not to say it like the wrong thing. Right. No, no listen, listen, man. No. I just feel like, you know, how it's such a pro woman movie and a pro girl movie, which is great and awesome. Yeah. It's a female led, female made movie. Right. But I so respected and appreciated um, certain parts of the male perspective and aspect. Because, sure, you could kind of look at Ken as a villain in the way that he came back and he took over and he changed everything. Right. Right. But at the same time, when you look at it, the reasoning behind it, it's not necessarily all that insane or that far a stretch as to why he felt that way. No, like I said, it was commentary, I think, cleverly. And I can't speak to the intentions of people who made the film, but my impression is it was social commentary disguised as parody to make it more palatable. I guess it was there was there was you know? more, it was a it was a more equal movie than you'd than I think a lot of people have talked about. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, I think you know? that's true too. You know, uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I did. I enjoy it. I respected it. I love what they did with it. I think, again, I, I like, I like books, movies, even music that says something. My yeah. parents are notorious for this. I'll recommend a movie to my folks. Right? I'll be like, oh my gosh. Because like, well, we're looking for something to watch. And I'll say, oh, well, what about? I, I said, okay, you should watch this. And almost every time they're like, is this a thinker? Like, oh, we, yes. don't always, we don't always, we don't want to watch a thinker. We just want to yeah. watch something to enjoy it. And we know you like those thinkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what the Marvel. <laughs> I'm not saying was, my parents man. are anti-intellectual. They're not. But they're like, look, we just want to put something on and enjoy it. And that's it. Because they'll be like, oh, you should watch like this European yeah. horror film, yeah. you know. That really transposes the idea of blah blah blah. You know? <laughs> That's why I think I really liked the Marvels, man, because I've never liked I haven't liked Brie Larson or her as cat as Captain Marvel yet until this movie. Mm-hmm. I I loved her. 
I thought the dynamic between those three characters was fan fucking tastic. Oh, I loved, I loved the the hero worship aspect and how Captain Marvel had to kind of reconcile that. But this right. is the most human she's ever seen, too. Like they really were able to portray her in a much more human light than they have in any other of her portrayals so far, including See, the first I, movie. I I liked I liked her in the first one, you know. But again, to me, ultimately, I think to your point, it was only turned towards the very end when they did like kind of like the flashback moment of her like thinking about it as a young girl and stuff like that coming up. I really enjoyed that. But I think she was very three-dimensional. I think she was, arguably, they showed layers to the character that they haven't shown in the previous movies. Yeah. In this one, by juxtaposition of her seeing herself through the eyes of someone that idolized her. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know? she just seemed a little more humble in this movie. Maybe that's yeah. part of what I Well, and, 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 I, and I think in some but ways. But that Iman Villani, I tell you. Oh, that, my gosh. You know, Toronto's own. There, there it is. <laughs> fucking dude, that girl's from down the street, and she's a treasure. She is an she absolute is. fucking and treasure. The mom, the mom. Yeah. Oh, I loved. I tell everybody yeah. that yeah, that the Ms. Marvel, great. Ms. Marvel series yeah. is so good. And I'm not too proud to say, and I'm too proud to say it publicly. I feel that it really helped me gain more cultural appreciation. Concerning some things about about that culture. Did you watch the show? Oh yeah, this one's okay. Good. Yeah, watching the show. I I don't know if we talked about this or not, but I talked about it with a few people on the show. But what was cool about that show for me is that I used to be married to a Persian girl, an Iranian Pakistani family. I did not know that. Yeah, they were. You didn't know that. No, For real? Okay, my I, ex. You I know, never, I had I an ex. I didn't, I didn't know that was the scenario. No, you knew I had an ex-wife, though, right? Yes. Yeah. I just didn't. I didn't know that she. I mean, not that it matters, but I just didn't know that she was of uh, Persian descent. Well, she. Almost yeah. Persian. So she was born here. Her parents are were from Karachi. Okay, right on. Now, what they were, they were Zoroastrians. Okay. Now, Zoroastrians are the oldest monolithic religion on earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, that's like going back to ancient Persia, Mesopotamia. Babylon, no, I know exactly shit, what you're right? talking about. Right. So basically, in fact, what... a lot of the modern Judeo-Christian Christian, especially idea of heaven and hell, comes from that culture. Oh my God! But God appeared first to Zarathustra in a burning bush. Exactly. Like there's so much shit. The that whole it concept all came of from good and guy. evil. Right. All of yeah. that. Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, and, don't get me involved in religious philosophy that conversation. That'd be a whole other. Oh no, it's awesome shit. So I learned yeah. a lot about it, right? But also, yeah. it's neat because what happened was when Alexander the Great took over, they all the Persians all split up, right? And the ones that stayed, you know, those Zoroastrians kind of had to become like much more liberal and open with kind of their shit. And then there were ones that went to like uh, Pakistan and India. Mm-hmm. to get away and be able to remain being so it's weird because they're like pakistani but of iranian descent because they're zoroastrians right Do you know what i mean so no, it's I know just, exactly but either mean. way the the only difference between my ex-wife's family and my in-laws and her family are that they're muslims 
Like, you know how they're Muslims in the show? Like, yeah, okay, you mean in the show, the only difference yeah. is in the show they're Muslim. Okay, okay. That's the you. only okay. difference. Otherwise, that was all my my auntie-in-laws. That was my yep. mother-in-law. That yep. was my father-in-law. Yep. That was my brother-in-law. Like, yep. to a fucking T. And watching that show brought back so many old things and familiarities that I hadn't thought about. That what I most appreciated about Miss Marvel was the fact that it made me look upon my past with uh, with the ability to look on it positively again like I hadn't in years. That's great. Like it yeah. made me I, able I to appreciate the experience of that family and the experience I had with them. Because, you know, since the divorce, I hadn't really ever looked at it from that kind of point of view. Mm -hmm. But watching this show was so familiar to me. You know, I'm a white dude from fucking, I'm in Burlington, Canada. Like, fucking, right, what the right, fuck can right. I talk about this Muslim Pakistani family, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, in the way the world is, I actually can. I can identify with their culture, the food they talked about. Like, I could right. smell it. When they were right. all in their kitchen, I could fucking smell it. Right. Do you know what and I, I mean? And, and, I'm, and, and I've, you know, <laughs> this sounds so terrible. I've had friends who've been Muslim, you know. But, no, but yeah. But, but and it's true. But the flip side is, I watching this Marvel, I'm not ashamed to say, and this is what I was going to say earlier, I feel like I learned, I became culturally a little more well-rounded. Absolutely, yeah. That, but you know what? Gaining some additional perspective. And that's nice. That's that's not an opportunity, again, middle-aged white guy from the Midwest, United States, normally gets. Yeah. And I just appreciated even a topical surface level, I just have a little more I have an interesting experience that I did before watching the Marvels. Show. I'd like to bring up before we close out. Yes, sir. You know how it hasn't done super well, right? At the box office. Well, I think there's a lot of factors. Right. The Here's strike. what I think is a big fucking factor. And yeah. I think this is actually a cool thing because everyone I know that has seen it online, which is 98% fucking males, have loved this movie. They've been mm -hmm. like, this is a fun, great, awesome fucking movie. What's the fun. fucking problem? Now, yes. here's what didn't happen that will often happen with one of these movies, including the first one and Wonder Woman and such, is that this movie had no woman powerhood to it at all. At all. Like, it just happened to have three strong women leads, three right. strong female leads, in no way... Was that, three main characters was that addressed are, are women. or needed right. to be addressed or was part of the plot or was part of the story? In fact, there is an entire sequence without trying to spoil too much where in order to move along the plot, Captain Marvel completely, you know, makes herself subservient to a man. Yes. Like like she yes. has to she has to bend the knee a little bit to a certain cultural practice in order to attain a goal. Uh-huh. And and just bucket bites his and I'm not saying this is like a, a necessary thing or a good thing. Like don't read me wrong. I'm just saying that's to the extent that this isn't like a woman power movie. Well, so I what I think this movie oh. failed to do in the box office that Captain Marvel didn't and 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 wonder woman didn't and i don't even think i should use the word fail but why it made less money is because it didn't push to bring out all these women to see it well and, and I, I, think I think all the superhero dudes they, they could hardly publicize it. it we just had the strike everything else but i'll tell you i always think back to i think it's called salt with um 
Sorry, I just want to. Yeah, sorry, I just want to say that everything I said was like in appreciation for that about the. Movie. Oh no, I think that's very. Like, I, think I it's loved very it. I loved I think, it, and I did. I I quite enjoyed it, but like that movie, Salt, I think was originally written for a male character. But then Angelina Jolie became the star in it, and they and she's like, no, no, and they were gonna change it. Like, no, no, she's like, no, don't change it. It's fine. Right. There's no reason we can't tell this story with a woman. Right. And I think the I think the Marvels did a great job too. Like you said, here's three characters. They're women. They're having an adventure. They're having a. They're having this thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, it, it was just just tell me a good story. It was and, basically Spider Verse. It was the same thing. You had three. You had three. You know, Spider Mans arguing with each other. Like right. You know, right. like she is easily like the new Tom Holland of this era, right? Like oh, she's, she's, so she's holding that whole she's that charming. whole fucking she's thing just, down. She's just right? a, she's a she, she's a treasure. She's yeah, a she's yeah. a global treasure. And I loved life. that like Nick Fury was back to Nick Fury form. And yes, he was more familiar. Nick Fury he wasn't all defeated, shitty Nick Fury. Right. It was just it was right. it was good. Anyways, you should I, all I, go I, fucking I, see I, it. I made a post on Facebook recently. I said I really enjoyed it, which is what I wanted. Yeah, Not every yeah. Marvel movie needs to be Endgame. No, it really doesn't. You know, it doesn't at all. But uh, listen, so you know, we didn't we didn't talk about this, and you know, I don't think we really need to, because it's been successful as fuck. But just go to Kickstarter and look up Hope Two. Uh, Hope Two, yep. Literally put know, in Hope the number two. And yeah, you'll get Hope Two, and go and see which Kickstarter stretch goals are all still available. Because as always, there's going to be a whole bunch of crazy, cool, awesome stuff to acquire by yeah, pledging we, we, to this. As of as of this moment, yeah. we've unlocked six stretch goals. Like I said, we did ten grand in under twenty four hours, which is a new record for me for a creator owned book. Uh, we're we're over halfway to unlocking the seventh stretch goal right now. After the first six, I started to spread them out a little bit more. <laughs> you know? But um, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And again, uh, there's a, a nice pledge level called "I'm New Here Too," where you can get both books at a bundled price. So if you're new to Hope. Uh, if you're looking for some good winter reading that's very dramatic, very engaging, complex characters, dynamic situations, check out Hope. This is a really fun, emotionally engaging book. You will, I don't know if I can say you'll laugh and you'll cry, but you'll probably definitely cry a little bit. I'd like to think there's some laughs in there a little bit, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's heavy. But that's okay. Sometimes we need to tell heavy stories. Absolutely. But it's also a good story. It's fun. And uh, I'll say this. For people that read Hope Volume 1, I think there's a lot of people that were like, how can you match that or top it? And I will say, Hope 2, I knew going into Hope Volume 2, I had to match or top Hope Volume 1. And brother, my my hand my hand on everything. All right. We've done it. Sally brought the heat. Right on. Writer, I brought the heat. And we at least match, and in my opinion, possibly even top volume one. And that's a hard-ass lyric for people that read volume one. But I'm telling you, when people get to the end of volume two of Hope, now on Kickstarter, at HeroForHope.com, just like Jaws dropped at the end of volume one, Jaws are going to drop even harder at the end of volume two. Market. Very nice. And kids, Market. that tells you something at a time when Kickstarters aren't you know, succeeding all over the place or just barely crossing the line for this to happen. You know, this is a, a Kickstarter worth pledging because I appreciate it's, that. It's, it, well, it is. It's, it's a tough time. I have watched several yeah, yeah, it is. people's it is. 
Kickstarters. They know not even asking for that much money, barely fucking skimp across the finish line there it's lately. A because right it's now. a hard, it's a hard economy, and you know, so that's yeah. quite an accomplishment. So congratulations, okay. my friend. Greatly appreciate it. It's always fun to get deep and shoot the shit with you, always Mr. Fun. Dirk Manning. We will uh, get together again. Who knows? Maybe episode next episode. Maybe all the episodes. I, I don't <laughs> fucking know. I don't fucking care. You know what? We're just hanging out, man. We're having That's good it. times. This was. It's always great talking to you. For everyone that listens to this, thank you. And I say this a lot, uh, Jay. I'm going to say this one more time before we run out of time here. How much you do for so many creators of comics is really oh. a gift. It's not like a gift to us as creators, but it's a gift to people that want to listen and have these conversations with people that are creating independent creator-owned comics. So, again, giving you your flowers. Well, I Thank appreciate that so much. If Thank it helps, you. it's it's such a blessing. I just I just appreciate the fact that I get to have all these crazy cool conversations with with amazing people. Thank and, you, brother. Uh, you know that's that's the fun part of it to to be part of the. The, the ebb and flow of this community and its creations is uh is is super super cool that's why i'm so stoked we're about to, to, we're about to lose our time here too yeah less than a minute that's where it goes um but there you go kids uh that's dirk manning um we all love him he's gonna be around hope to he's uh on winter hiatus but look out for pack rack comics check out kickstarter that's the dirt one kids that's all we're gonna have on an elegant weapon this week i will see you next time so okay.